Hi, welcome to Wellness Warriors, a Two Roads podcast. My name is Mike Tozer, host of the show. I think today you are going to find this podcast informative and possibly even life-changing. So let's get right into it. I would like to introduce Sasha Pau of Two Roads Wellness Clinic. I'm here with Sasha Powell of Two Roads Wellness Clinic. How are you doing today, Sasha? I'm good. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining the podcast. Uh, look forward to today. Uh, what are you going to talk about today? I think today we're talking about integrative healthcare. So tell me about your background and how you came uh, to practice integrative healthcare. I have been a nurse <clears throat> for a really long time and have been a nurse practitioner for almost 11 years now. And I started working in traditional allopathic medicine, um, but my oldest son had some health issues uh, when he was born and uh, seeing regular allopathic physicians didn't really solve his, his problems. And luckily we had a pediatrician, Dr. Baronical, who was really willing to look at some of my, at the time, weird, um, ideas for fixing his gut health. And, uh, we were fortunate enough to also get to see a naturopathic physician who's also a chiropractor in the area, Dr. Andrew Peters. And they were able with not traditional approaches to be able to make him well and thrive. He was a preemie and struggled a lot and he got better with more root cause medicine, looking at the foods and underlying issues that existed instead of just giving him antacids and other medications or doing surgeries, we got to make him well with non-traditional approaches. So that kind of started the path. Wow. That's quite a story. So for our listeners, uh, not that I'm trying to be insulting, but I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed all the time. What's allopathic? That's medicine? traditional, okay. the, the traditional medicine where you, you know, write prescriptions and do lab tests and regular standard practice. So you, you kind of came by it through, you know, not only having been in healthcare for a long time, but you come across this, you know, on a personal level, very and much it just kind of like light bulb goes off and, um, off you go. Yeah. I thought it can't just be my kid. Who's the only one struggling with issues that are not detectable by regular practice. There's got to be something else to the foods we eat every day and the, the environment that we're, we're living in. And that's got to impact the way that we thrive and sleep and function. And we need to really start looking at that for everyone. Yeah. When I, I've been in the field as a therapist for over 30 years, and I'm going through looking at the website here and I see all this stuff that you have on here and like all of the gut health and 
genetic stuff and all of that. And I'm like, how come I've never heard of this? And how come like I'm not using this in my practice? So it was a big, it attracted me to this just by like, just looking at the website. So that was one of the big reasons too, in asking you to come on here because like, um, if I'm somebody like you're in healthcare, I'm in healthcare. Like if I'm not hearing about this, obviously people out there aren't hearing about it. Um, so what's the difference between, um, integrative healthcare and the traditional approaches? Integrative healthcare kind of combines, um, some traditional healthcare with some alternative or complementary medicine ideas. So, we try to focus on treating the whole person and not just the symptoms that present with an illness. So we don't want to just treat your high blood pressure. We want to know why do you have high blood pressure in the first place? Is it because it is genetic? Do you eat too much salt, too much fat? Do you have any other underlying conditions that are feeding that? We want to treat all of those. Is it stress related? Um, We want to focus on the whole person and treat every individual aspect, not just give you a medication just for the high blood pressure and manage the symptom. Yeah. So in traditional healthcare, yeah, not to be disparaging about it, but yeah, it does tend to be more symptom focused and uh, not more root cause, which we all know if there is one, you know, you treat that like the dominoes start to fall. Yeah. And it's, it's just the way that the, the system is set up and it's not to fault that, I mean, I've, have a lot of great friends who are practitioners and and physicians and they're amazing. And that kind of medicine is definitely useful and helpful and has a place, especially in emergency medicine. Um, It's fantastic. But when we're looking at chronic health or health prevention, we want to make sure that we're taking other aspects of life into consideration and not that immediate concern. So can you give us examples of how you incorporate integrative healthcare and your practice as a nurse practitioner? So one of the things that's probably important for what like we both do and a, a huge part of what we do at Two Roads is the mental health aspect. So if we have a patient that comes in and they have symptoms of depression, they think they have some low mood, we might as some of the other providers might do regular DSM screening tools or their therapist might do that and actually assess what level um, of symptoms do they have for depression or anxiety or do they have both? And then my part would be to look at some of their genetic predisposition. If we're, we're looking at a patient who has symptoms of various things and it's hard to pinpoint what what is the the underlying issue? Is it just seasonal or is it chronic low mood or is it a bipolar type two, we can look at some of the genes associated with that so we can better identify what's the the underlying thing that we need to address and treat. And then maybe we do some prescription medications to help with symptoms, but we also want to look at what supplemental things can we do? What lifestyle modifications can we make? Light therapy, vitamin D levels, all the things that might also be associated with that so we can really get to the, the root cause of it. Um, and then refer them to the therapist if they don't have one, do some infrared sauna treatments or light treatments, all the other possibilities that we've tried to incorporate into our whole practice. 
So let's say I come in, I'm coming into you, you know, what am I going to expect from you? Like, how do you create a plan, like an individualized plan for me to like address the things that are going on in my life? So we want to go over every single aspect of your life. So when you talk to me um, about your symptoms, I'm not just going to ask about your mood or just your acid reflux. We're going to talk about all of it because I want to know, is your acid reflux related to your diet or is it also related to your poor sleep and your stress at work? And how are you managing that stress and how many hours are you working and how much sleep are you getting? because that might impact the amount of caffeine that you drink in a day and that will impact your acid reflux and how much time are you allowing yourself to prepare and make meals and what do those look like and where are you getting them from? What time of the day are you eating them? It's a lot. And we want to cover everything about you and every aspect of your life and also your family history. Is that something that maybe it is genetic? And if I have the ability to look at your genes, I certainly will do that because we can identify what is really true genetics or what is just familial because it's habit. So we have some things that are you know, genetic high blood pressure and high cholesterol, or is it you just eat the same things that your family taught you to eat and everyone doesn't actually have genetic high blood pressure. They just have poor eating habit, high blood pressure that got passed on through generations. Yeah, that's a great distinction to make. And, you know, it sounds to me like you're able to spend the time with people to find out that information. I'm sure that people seem to feel like when you're putting that time and effort in that they're actually feeling like they're heard, they're attended to, you know, which is always an important kind of hook to yeah, get people we to hope buy so. into things. All of our traditionally our first appointments for for me um, and for mental health are all an hour long. Um, most of my follow-ups to talk about the genetic stuff and to make care plans and revise those are an hour long. Our medical appointments are 90 minutes because we want to cover every family history aspect and your social, biopsychosocial, physical um, review old labs. We tried to find all that. So we've allotted way more time than what you see in traditional healthcare because all of that information really is important and you can't just skim over it. Yeah, that's basically those time periods, those time frames are unheard of today. Yep. Uh, so how do you address common misconceptions or concerns about the integrative healthcare approach, like in regards to nutrition or supplements or even alternative therapies? I try to back up everything that I recommend with research. I'm, I am allopathically trained, so I do appreciate that there needs to be science behind um, the information and the recommendations. So if I'm going to recommend something to someone, I want to make sure that there is real published NIH PubMed, like scholarly information about any supplementation that I might recommend. And the program that I use um, is very diligent about that as well. They don't put recommendations in their care plans or programs unless they've had at least one positive human trial. 
So I know that we're using information that's been researched and is scientifically credible. And it's not that with other providers who, who don't know about it, um, sometimes they, they don't find value in it because that information isn't pushed. It's not readily available. You don't have um, drug reps and people coming to talk to you about curcumin because that just doesn't happen. But that doesn't mean that it's not as valuable um, in, in treating a patient's condition. You just have to go find the information. And a lot of providers just don't have that kind of time. It's not that it's bad or that they're bad or they're, they're not doing it right. That's just not what they have time. That's not what traditional medicine set up for. So we've, we've had to do a whole different paradigm shift and take a different approach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the $64,000 question is, how do you approach the resistant patient when need to make dietary changes or, you know, incorporate supplements into their routine? You have to meet a patient where they're at. So when you meet with me and I may tell you that you have a dairy intolerance or a caffeine sensitivity, and that caffeine might actually be negatively impacting your sleep because you break it down slowly. The, the worst things I can tell a patient is that they shouldn't eat too much cheese and that they can't have too much coffee. I, I ruin everyone's day with those. But I tell them it's not that you have to take it away forever and you can never have it. If we know that you're complaining of a sleep problem or um, some, some reflux issue or some indigestion, and I know you have a dairy intolerance, if you cut back even 80% of, of your dairy intake, you're still going to have benefit. So it's finding a happy medium. And maybe we reduce your three cups of coffee just down to one. Not that you can't ever have it, but maybe we have less or we do half calf. And you have to just make small alterations because we want people to live their lives and feel like they're not restricted and that they're not deprived, but that we're actually solving their problems and making them feel better than they've ever known they could feel because they have a new normal. Yeah. So they don't, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing approach no. and you tend to get people cooperating better or like not cooperating, but investing in like, well, if I can have some of it and still feel better, like that's great. So yeah, it's opening the door for um, maybe some other avenues to work with. And being able to really show someone their actual genetics to say, you have these genes that are very associated with this kind of intolerance or this kind of condition backs it up a little bit more. It's, it's a little different, um, to have real in black and white, like on essential paper that these things are, are real and they exist. And here's all of the research and here are your actual gene variants that that's credible. And that means something to people. It's not just a suggestion of try to cut out all these things and just see if they're better. We'll know which things you really do need to reduce or eliminate to make you feel better. And we don't have any guesswork and you're not having to yo-yo diet or Facebook <laughs> diet or TikTok diet or whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, even going to, you know, either a, a 
dietitian or, you know, your doctor and like they go over like, you know, solid diets, sure, like ways to eat. There's something about making like uh, an organic connection to like, oh, yeah, like this is really why, you know, I should probably eat this instead of that versus, oh, the doctor gave me one of those diet things again or whatever, where they're just like, if there's something about it, I know that I respond better and I think a lot of people do. Yeah. So that's a great, you know, that's a really significant in dealing with. And it's a different when you can approach it from the aspect of think about what your ancestors ate. Cause most of the patients that I see um, have done some kind of genetic testing and that's what I use to, to upload or we will do one. Um, but you get to look at what did people eat a long time ago from where you were from. And a lot of those areas may not have had a lot of cheese or there weren't cows walking around all over the place. So you, you may, you may not have actually been designed to digest and, and have a high need for those foods. So sure. Having them every once in a while is okay, but what is your, your staple diet? What's that look like? What are you actually fueling your body with? because we have to give your body what it needs. And if you're, you're lacking some of those things, it's not going to work as well as it should. And so obviously, um, diet, diet, food, uh, plays a, looks like it plays a, like a overall primary role in what you're doing with the patients that come in, you know, do you, how do you tend to prioritize that or like, you know, say you have somebody that maybe their diet is relatively good, Mm -hmm. but they have some other stuff going on uh, or, but somebody's diet isn't as good. Like how do you prioritize that in somebody's, you know, treatment? I think it's largely what their symptoms are. So I have a a lot of patients um, that come in that are just trying to optimize. They feel like, Maybe their their diet's pretty healthful, but they still have an issue with acne or they're having still some mood disorder. And what could we actually supplement with actual vitamins or minerals, or do they need more phototherapy? So they, they might actually eating all the right foods and taking a multivitamin and doing all the things, but they work in an office building and they don't actually get to see the sun very often. And maybe we need to look at what their vitamin D regulation is and do they need a phototherapy lamp or how are they exercising? We're not all designed to do the same kind of activity. So if we can optimize physical movement, because some people are runners, I'm not a runner. I don't have those genes. I have terrible VO2 max and very low endurance, and that is not for me. But I have elite athlete level power. So I have all this amazing short muscle fiber activity, and I used to be an NPC bodybuilder. So that works out well. But for other people, if they're trying to be runners and they don't have that, but they have crazy strength and, and long muscle fiber activity, they need to be lifting weights. And we do have people with amazing endurance who have never tried running, but they might excel at it if they train their bodies well and start doing some breath work and can get to that point. So sometimes it's, you're doing the right things, but we need to just tweak it and optimize it so that you can be your best self. So as you, as you're talking about all of this, 
it it is i hear like how in depth and that you get with your patients and like there's it's like you said like you mentioned the word like tweaking things or you know it doesn't always have to be you know the large things that mm -hmm. like there can be smaller things that affect certain aspects and you know being a therapist you know we know that diet ha plays a big role in mood mm -hmm. you know especially if you're like oh i'm drinking you know two starbucks um you know coffees in the morning and afternoon like i'm feeling grouchy irritable or yeah. tired like that's not brain surgery. <laughs> yeah. And looking at, you know, the, the caffeine intake and also is that all you're doing is drinking the coffee and are you eating any food? And then what do you have for lunch? I can tell by some genetic predisposition, if you are a person who should do intermittent fasting, or if you really need to eat those six small meals a day and what, what does your body respond to the best? But if your gut is not in good shape, then your brain is not going to be either. I think there's tons of research coming out about the gut brain access. And we know that so many of the happy chemicals, the serotonin and, and all those things are made in your gut. And if you don't have a good gut, then how can your brain possibly utilize all those things that it needs well? So for many people, they come in for mental health. And when we're asking them if they take probiotic or if they're eating lots of vegetables and you know, that's odd to them, but we know now it's really, really important. And I just listened to a, another podcast with a GI doctor who's looking at treating IBS and it's from the University of Michigan, and they changed their model to be biopsychosocial because they know that there's a direct connection between stress and anxiety and IBS and that they feed each other. And that's something that I think in mental health, as well as just in primary care, we have to take that into consideration for our patients who are complaining about gut issues or have IBS um, diagnoses. How are we addressing both of those things? And, and not only focusing on their mental health because they're both important and they feed each other and we have to do both. So can you share a success story, stories like, uh, so we get an idea of like the, basically the power of what you're talking about. One that's, it's probably the, the biggest um, and so it is very profound. This was a patient who was all in, like 100% in. She came to us on one, one or two cholesterol medications, two blood pressure medications, some type two diabetic medications. She was in therapy and had been doing fairly well, um, but still struggled with some like depression and anxiety symptoms. But we looked at her caffeine consumption, her diet. Um, she was eating a lot of really quick, convenient foods and a lot of processed food because she didn't feel well mentally. So preparing meals and, and doing that was overwhelming. So we started with just one small thing at a time. And then she said, no, I want to go big gun. Let's do it all. Tell me, tell me the extreme, which is not most people. So 
she went all in. And within about a six week period, she on her own, I did not advise her to do so, but on her (laughs) own stopped all of her medications and had her labs redone with her, her primary care provider, um, a few weeks after that. And all of her lab values were improved. Her triglycerides were normal. Her cholesterol was normal and she had stopped everything. She had to stop her diabetic medications because she was getting hypoglycemic from having such an improved diet that she was starting to feel lightheaded and dizzy because she was taking two diabetic medications and her mental health improved. She didn't need to come to therapy as often. She did more of a check-in for life situations because she stopped feeling helpless and hopeless. And she felt validated that all of the things she had been experiencing and feeling were real. She really didn't feel well, but it was all linked. And her primary care provider was doing a good job of trying to keep her numbers in check, but he was only managing those numbers and not actually talking to her about how it was all connected to her mental health and how we needed to work on the whole picture. That's a, that's a great story. Like, especially the idea of just, you know, how the diet is linked to like your mood, how you feel, you know, and you talk about the, you know, the energy levels, like, you know, when you're not feeling great, like you don't want to make food, you don't want to do those Mm -hmm. things. Um, you know, going all in, that was a big, that was a big thing on that person's part, but it worked out pretty well. And there's actually some genes for that too. Not everyone has those either, but she did. (laughs) Okay. Um, so how do you stay current? on the latest research? How do you make it part of your practice? So luckily, thankfully for me, that's part of my job is to spend uh, a designated time every week in doing research to look for what is, what is new, what is current. Um, I've spent the last several weeks or even two months um, looking at a lot of weight loss things, um, because that's kind of been trendy. A lot of patients are using semaglutide, um, those kinds of injectable medications to manage weight and, and that's okay. But when they come off of that, um, or when in in conjunction with that, we want to also make sure that their vitamin and mineral content is, is good and that they're learning to also address the underlying potential disordered eating pattern that may have existed, um, as a need to, to allow binge eating patients, um, that they're addressing that from a mental health standpoint. And that when they return to normal eating patterns, when their appetite isn't as suppressed, what foods are they choosing and how are they fueling their bodies and what kind of inflammatory responses are we also addressing? So I'm looking at ways to kind of supplement that for those, those patients, um, what probiotics are helpful and beneficial, what things will help continue to reduce gut inflammation, what will help maintain blood sugar regulation. So I kind of 
pick seasonally what what the target is. Um, in fall and winter, I spend a lot of time looking at immune function and what's new and and what has been recently published on the best ways to fight colds and flus and viruses and um, what are the the traditional things that are vitamin C, the old mainstays, how are the best ways that we can offer that to our patients um, with supplemental support, food recommendations, and even offering IV and IM injectable options um, for people who don't tolerate things well by mouth. So what advice would you give people that um, they're in an, interested in learning more about this approach? I would say the, the best thing to do would just be to come and see us. If you've got anything to complain about, um, mental health, physical health, kind of make an appointment with one of us. Um, I do all the, the weird genetic stuff and the digging and the kind of deep dives into odd uh, complaints, um, kind of like the weird Sherlock Holmes person. But I really enjoy that. Um, but if you've got something that you're concerned about, call us and we can place you with the right person to focus on that. We've got some of our providers who specialize in, in hormone things, um, mental health providers, primary care providers. If you already have a primary care uh, provider, that's okay. Even some specialists. I like to work with those providers um, to, to provide extra education and information about genetic predispositions and about recommendations and supplements that you can take back to your provider to incorporate. So we'll work with other providers as well. We don't, you know, have to be our patient. We want to try to help as many people as we possibly can um, from, from any aspect, mental or physical health. Well, Sasha, I'm sure our listener will enjoy this podcast. This has truly been fascinating. Thank you. Extremely informative. I know you're busy and trust me, I appreciate the time you've taken thanks. today. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. All right. Again, I'd like to thank Sasha Powell for being our guest. I'd like to thank you, the listener, which makes all of this possible. Until next time, I wish all of you well and to remind you to take the road less traveled.